Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 10 of The Whiskey Philosopher. Um, as I warned you last week and uh, wanted to, to reiterate now, is that this will be the second half of our interview with Kirk Whitner. Amazing story. Uh, you know, the guy has shown uh, incredible strength through really, really tough times. And, um, you know, but he stood up for his family. He did what was right. And I think you'll enjoy hearing the second half of, of this story um, as we go through today. Unfortunately, like I mentioned last week, I will not be tasting a whiskey this week because this was originally done as one long interview with uh, with myself and Kirk, and we just we tasted the one whiskey from last week. So we won't get one this week. I apologize. Maybe I'll make it up to you and try two whiskeys in one podcast. If I can actually speak by the end of the podcast, it will be amazing. So, But regardless, you won't have a whiskey tasting this week, but you will have Kirk Whitner's second half of, of, uh, of the interview and of his story. Really hope you enjoy it. And again, thank you very, very much for downloading these and listening every week. But I like that bottle better than the rest. And she said, You're listening to The Whiskey Philosophers with Jeff Cooper on the Ignotainment Media Network. Undistilled thoughts, blended opinions on the rocks. Please listen responsibly. If you take your whiskey. So to your to use your earlier metaphor, you continued to throw pebbles at the castle, and they finally stacked up high enough. And then what happened? There was a uh, a beautiful moment. Um, the warden had written me there are two different uh, two statutes that you can move under in the federal system to get released. One is called an RIS, reduction in sentence. The other is a compassionate release. The warden wrote me back in as many inquiries as I made, and I was truly a hound dog in that regard, relentless. He said to me, Mr. Whitner, in a letter that I hold uh, in my box of records, you would be wise to pursue a reduction in sentence because in my as many 30 plus years of doing this, no one has ever gotten a compassionate release. You ought to pursue reduction in sentence. And so I did. And uh, we filed that. I had a unit manager who was a 34-year-old gentleman who's since advanced in his career with the Federal Bureau, uh, Frank Palmer, a hell of a guy, a guy who was not jaded by the system, a family man, three kids, who made a real connection with me as a son and a, and a young father who liked my father and wanted to take a personal interest in seeing this wrong be righted in some fashion. I don't want to overstep my boundaries in terms of his level of input, but he was very responsive, and so he was a big part of this process because he, unlike anyone else over in Lexington, Kentucky, um, he was responsive. He called me back. He was true to his word. If he said he was going to call me, he called me. If he said he was going to walk paperwork through, he made sure the paperwork went through. There are blessings here that, in miracles, I, I guess... I don't want to get too esoteric, but if people are trying to find miracles in life, uh, they're probably right in front of you and they're hard to identify. I don't care what your, your spirituality is, your religion, but 
there are miracles and you have to you have to recognize them and they come in little packages and and they're mostly people and they're people and they're people that identify and in this case this this gentleman frank palmer he was paying close attention to what was going on and so he helped me in a lot of ways he's been advanced into the system i can understand why to his credit uh, and i started chipping away and, and the stroke of luck was this my father went away in january of 2014 we delivered him we dropped him off uh, he had his episode, his near-death episode, uh, before the end of January of 14. It went into February. He was sent back to the facility. Uh, what happened was I had made my application by the summertime, so we went through that winter. I, I will add that my family, in absorbing the burden, we went to Lexington, five-hour drive, we went every weekend without fail. Family was there, to and back. Sometimes we did the drive in one day, 10 hours along with the visitation. We were not gonna leave this man alone. He didn't deserve this. And so we, we, we took that as part of our, our, our responsibility of living and helping him to keep his spirits afloat. And he has his own story to tell that, that he will be putting in a book because it's been asked uh, by a New York Times bestseller to do so. Uh, but we did that and my reduction in sentence went through all the process, got approved by FMC Lexington, the facility he was in. And lo and behold, in June of 2014 comes a letter. I only can assume was written by a lawyer in the Federal Bureau. And they said in their language, and this is fascinating, this is a lawyer writing it. They found it, and I'm not looking at anything, I'm sitting here with Jeff, so I remember it verbatim. It is indeterminate that he is terminal. Now. <laughs> Maybe the greatest quote ever. <laughs> it's, it really is. Maybe it might be the only time I can sort of chuckle about this. Now, if, if any reasonable person is listening and you say that it's indeterminate that he's terminal, which is one of the criteria you need to fall under either an RIS, reduction in sentence, or a compassionate release, I'm not it, sure if he's ever going to die. No, I mean, you know, we, we have an admission. So we as lawyers, we chuckle. We say, okay, if it's indeterminate, let's just take the inverse or right. the converse of it. Say, if it's indeterminate, then you're saying it's possible. Right. You're not, a, you're not denying that it's possible. You're just saying you don't know. Therein gets into where I have my special training and I took that language and waged a war. And the war was, well, wait a second, folks. You're really telling me that your position is he can reapply if he has another episode in your facility? I'm pretty sure that after the last go-around, he's not going to make another run. Right. Um, I took a packet, and this is where it's interesting. Criminal defense lawyers, the best, don't know what goes on. Their interest stops at the point that you are sentenced. Yeah. And that's critical. 
you have these brilliant criminal defense lawyers, but their knowledge of the system and the Federal Bureau of Prisons ends at the point that you are sentenced. They don't know a thing. Take my word for it. Now, I have not explored as a business whether or not I would go and choose to duplicate what I have done in terms of my father's case. But what I realized was there is such a lack of communication between the outside source, the medical facility, in this case, University of Kentucky, dealing with the federal prison that I got a hold of, which by the way, broke protocol. I found out who the cardiologist was in charge of my dad's case. And I wrote probably what I think to date, which I would, if I had it on me, I would read it verbatim to you folks. But I wrote probably one of the strongest letters about my father and who he was, who he is, and what he pled to. It pointed out that as a cardiologist, do you represent to every one of your heart patients that you're going to have a 99% chance of, of keeping them alive and healthy no matter what right. their condition? And I took and I faxed along with five independent medical evaluations. That's something we do in the medical malpractice world. When you have a client who's been injured, you go out and you get these things called IMEs. They're used regularly and you have medical professionals trained and they give their own opinion as to the person's condition. In my instance, and again, I will label it a miracle, I had contacts that could give an independent review of his health, what his heart was, and his heart function. And unanimously across the board, they all said the same thing. This guy's not going to make it. I mean, it was consistent. And I didn't color that any particular way. I gave them the records. Mm -hmm. I said, here, tell me what you think. And IME, by the way, stands for Independent Medical Exam. Yes. That's exactly what you asked for. And and it is. And and these were all, these are people from Duke University, Washington University, St. Luke's. These were high-end, top-of-their-field cardiologists. They didn't necessarily know me, but I had intrigued them with the condition. They wanted to review it. I had sent this off to Lexington, Kentucky, University of Kentucky Hospital, who was the cardiologist consulting to the prison. I sent it to her fax machine. She doesn't even know how I ever found out who she is Hmm. to this day. It, to say the least, created a firestorm. I just mentioned to you that we got the June letter turning down his request. Mm I shortly after that request sent these IMEs and all these opinions to the cardiologist who was in charge of my father's case, speaking the standard of care. Mm -hmm. And she, I can only imagine, I never had any direct contact with her, but I can tell you all of a sudden my father was being reviewed and being sent from the facility over to the hospital on a near daily basis to look at what was going on. Patient number one. Patient number one, all of a sudden, I think she said to herself, wait a second, I'm not a part of uh, the Federal Bureau of Prisons execution style, we're going to put you in a medical facility, and by the way, when you die, we'll scoop you up and throw you out. She was upset. And again, I I didn't have any direct contact, I'm not mentioning this doctor's name, but miracles. Who was someone in a letter who paid attention to the detail? 
and did so and took immediate action had in the history of these requests overturned. Here's what is important. If you're turned down by the prison, you can appeal that decision. If you're turned down by Washington, D.C., you're out. You're done. You're done. My dad was turned down by Washington, D.C. There are three layers to go through in D.C., medical, legal, and then the head of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, Charles Samuels. My father had been cleared by medical and was turned down by legal based on a definition of terminal. Right. Now, that's craziness. It's insane. Insane. So then it comes down that... She then, this doctor, took it upon herself to raise a fit. All of a sudden, I get word that they are going to review his case. Shock, because it's never happened. But she must have created a storm. And in fact, uh, upon review, they wanted more opinions. And uh, now we're getting into August and by the time we gathered the opinions, the more assessments, their own testing, all of a sudden when they did their own testing at the University of Kentucky, it verified everything that the IMEs were saying. Now they had evidence. Now they were in trouble because what we had effectively done, and again, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, make no mistake, they answer to no one. They don't answer to the U.S. Attorney's Office. They are their own branch of our Department of Justice and they have no oversight and they do whatever they want. When you turn your loved one over to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, they don't refer to them as a human being. They are their property of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. That's it. it it's, a, it's, a, it's an item that they store. It's like a chair. It's a chair. It's not a human being. It's not a life. It's not assessed on that level. So when this happened and it got overturned and reviewed, it created a real storm. I mean, the guy throwing the pebbles all of a sudden wasn't throwing them from the outside, but I was throwing them at people on the inside of the fortress, and they were upset about it. Yeah. And uh, people were paying attention. And this is where things dramatically changed. It seemed to be this almost expedited fashion that they didn't like that someone knew on the inside what was going on. Right. And that was the big break that started the chain and all of a sudden I get a, a phone call that it's coming back that it's been approved through the levels of DC <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a there's a, a, a another sense of surreal I, I, I want to throw out that among the many miracles that, that took place uh, my daughter uh, was born on my father's birthday. I, I, I just throw that out as a sense for anyone who believes in magic out there. You call it magic, you call it spiritual. Uh, this is a true story. My one and only daughter with my wife was born on my father's birthday in March of 2014. I, I don't have an explanation for that. I, I, I can't tell you anything. I can just tell you that Things happen in mysterious ways, and I'll leave it to each their own and what they believe in. But what a magical kind of thing to happen. And here we just celebrated in March yep. as a family with my father and my, my daughter turning one. Miracles. 
they're 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 real and you got to believe in them so you just said you celebrated with your father so how did you learn that he was actually being released so excuse me for one second i'm gonna have a yes have a taste little, here have a little uh ravenswood rye enjoy that very good <laughs> um so as i had expressed we'd been turned down and everyone said that's it it's over but we we waged this new war through the cardiologist who was overseeing his case and some time passed there were a lot of uh conversation i went down i can't tell anyone enough about what you believe in pick up your phone whether you believe that someone is of a certain status position whether it be a senator whether it be ahead of, you know, in this case, the, the department, uh, the Eastern District, U.S. Attorney, Rich Callahan. I picked up the phone. I said, he was a former judge, now the head of the Eastern District. I said, Judge Callahan, Kirk Whitner, I know you know my name. Let me come down and talk to you. I, I have to tell you what's going on. And to Judge Callahan's credit, he, he, he couldn't have been more open he invited me down to his office, and there we sat, and and I laid it out for him, and I, I said, Judge, I know you only by reputation. You've invited me down to your office. You, you prosecuted my father. Your office did. But I have every reason to believe that he's going to be approved by D.C., and it's going to come to your office, and now you, the office that prosecuted and spent five years or six years spending money and prosecuting this guy is going to have to sign off on releasing this guy. And I have to say that Judge Callahan, I call him Judge, he's, he's now retired, but Judge Callahan used the discretion that I would have hoped that Gene Hamilton would have when she had the case but Rich Callahan, Judge Callahan, listened, paid attention. He said, I don't want, I said, Judge, no matter how brilliant your career is, when you leave, when you leave the Eastern District and you're done with the U.S. Attorney's Office, do you want it on your head that Howard Whitner, a, a guy who never stepped on the wrong side of the law, broke 1033, do you want that on your head that you executed the man for that. Everyone acknowledges that he had nothing to do with the major crime. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you want to walk off into your retirement with? And he looked at me and he didn't, didn't necessarily give me a response, but, but he acknowledged, he said, Kirk, no, I, I, let me see what I can do. If the motion comes to me, I will make it a priority. I will look at it. I said, Judge Callahan, that's all I can ask. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I actually brought my sister on that occasion. Again, my sister could have been the greatest advocate in the world. I, I out of professionalism, judge, judge. My sister, on the other hand, uh, Rich. Right. She's referring to him as Rich, and I'm wide-eyed. I'm thinking, you can't do that kind hey, of thing. But listen, Richie. Rich, yeah, she's poisoning the rich. And I was sitting there, and I, I just thought, you know, you can't do that. But, but you know, anyway, they, he, he, he is a compassionate man. He took the time to listen. Yes, I wish he would have taken the time on the other side of it. 
but he still was listening now, and it was important. I could save a life. And he did, and he said, I'm worried about Gene Hamilton. Now we have a worry about Gene Hamilton, the judge that sentenced him. Because in effect, if this order comes down from Charles Samuels, you can look him up online, the head of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, it'll be a motion brought by Charles Samuels on behalf of the Federal Bureau of Prisons to release Howard Whitner. Mm -hmm. When it happened, and it did happen on a day in October of 2014, there's a system called PACER that we all watch. And out comes an order on PACER. And it says, motion by Director Charles Samuels to release Howard Whitner. I, uh, there aren't words, folks, to, 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 to tell you what that feels like. Uh, eight and a half months of, of heartbreak, of struggle, of pain, culminating into the payoff. This is going to at least, it's reached a point of no one has ever seen. Attorneys who are lifetime defense attorneys, when they saw it on PACER, they thought it was a joke. They've never seen a single motion by the head of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And there it was. And uh, tears aren't going to do it justice. Um the, the, the screaming in the office of people running, hugging, and, and, and just everyone who helped me through the process, Jeff included, uh, there's not enough kind of love or feeling in that kind of expression to say that uh, these people all played a role. They, they, they let me, including my wife, grind out at half a day, at every day of my workday from 6 a.m. to say noon was spent on my father and then the afternoon was spent on my cases at my mm -hmm. job and when this order came down it, it, it was this adulation this feeling this release and there it was but we had one more hitch gene hamilton the judge who, who sent him away had to sign off on it now maybe judge gene hamilton was asleep at the wheel i don't mind saying that uh I don't have the achievements of Gene Hamilton. I'm a good attorney, but I expect that everyone do their job to the best of their ability. And she didn't miss when it came back. I don't know whether to attribute that to Judge Callahan going to Gene Hamilton, but the fact is, is that here comes this piece of paper and she has a choice. She can deny it. She can put him under supervised uh, home confinement, or she can say time served and release him and put him on probation. Uh, in the strangest of turn of events, the very prosecutor that prosecuted him had to bring a motion now representing my father to the very court that sentenced him, and in fact did so, and Judge Hamilton released my father with probation. It is a miracle, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, not one that will be experienced. I will tell you that talking with prominent criminal defense attorneys, they said that in as many years, including uh, Judge Callahan and the people down in that office, some who have been there for 20 plus years, had never seen a single motion from the Federal Bureau of Prisons, Charles Samuels, 
motioning to release an individual from prison. I love it. I love it. So I've, I've, I have a couple questions. In fact, I have a number of questions. Um, so earlier, and I think you did this, uh, um, I, I'm pretty sure that you did this unwittingly. You described your father as a stoic. So I'm a, I'm a, I might be the, the, the biggest adherent to stoicism, uh, or at least I don't, I don't, I sure as hell don't live it. I wish I did, but, but in terms of studying it, that there is out there today. And you know, the, in my opinion, the greatest stoic of all time was Marcus Aurelius, Emperor of Rome. And he, he had a, he coined a term that amor fati, love fate. Don't, don't bear it. Don't just accept it. Love it. Whatever somebody throws at you, love it. Throw yourself into it. And what's really interesting to me, Kirk, is it, is I, as I look through at all these things and, you know, we've been, we've been friends for years now and, and been able to follow this as we've gone through or as you've gone through it uh, and your family's gone through it. Nobody to me, even when I don't think you knew you were doing it, nobody to me represents Amor Fati more than you because you. when I asked you earlier, how did you, in, the, in the, the, the first half of this, how did you deal with this every day? And your answer was, I just threw myself into it. I lived it. I, I prosecuted this case. I, I defended my father. I defended this case. I chased after the Bureau of Prisons. I, you know, every day you lived it. There's no greater definition to me than Amor Fati of that, right? That, and even if it's not, if it's not something that's conscious, if it's, not, it's I've decided that my way of dealing with it, with this is to own it, right? And so it's incredible to me. So your father is is gone through this unbelievable uh, uh, ordeal. Your family's gone through this unbelievable ordeal. Your da- your daughter turned. She just turned one. One this March. Good Lord, one. I was yes. going to say two. Your daughter turned one on your father's birthday. He's home to celebrate it. What did that feel like? That's a moment that you. you I mean, you probably can't even put into words. But if you can, I'd love to hear. Them. I, uh, you know, this is a uh, this is an audio type thing, so uh, there's a big smile. Uh, it's more than joy. There's a I, just feeling blessed. I, there, there's there's so many things that that in this life can go wrong, and. Certainly, we all can appreciate that the journey of life is is part of the passion is the ups and downs and what's going to happen next and trying to, to, to grab onto those moments of joy. And so standing there watching my wife, watching my little girl and calling my father up to light candles on a cake that had this generational my dad at, at his age and my daughter turning one and to have him there standing together to sing happy birthday folks uh, it's 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 one of the most beautiful things in life if, if appreciate it appreciate every moment I, I I don't adhere to it all the time myself but it is very real it's a beautiful thing and that's what I can tell you is that as we just did this, it was a magical kind of 
surreal experience. Like all the others where there were these negative surreal things, this was surreal and calming. It was sitting and watching it and absorbing the whole situation and, and just taking absolute joy in the fact that this is really happening. A year ago, we were driving to Lexington to, to spend hours to try and save a man. And here I am celebrating so many beautiful things. And so, um, no, there aren't really words. It, it, it is just appreciate your time, appreciate your family, appreciate the things that happen, and don't give up. That's, no, that's my great. short message. Don't give up. I love it. I always ask this question to end all of all of my uh, conversations, um, and I think you actually just answered this question, but I'll ask it again anyway. What's your definition after everything you've been through, everything your family's been through, and the highs, the lows, everything in between? What's your definition of success? Well, it's a good question. Success. Success is um, a, a tough one to define, but success is being happy with your lot in life, knowing why you're lucky and, and what you have and not taking it for granted. And, 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 and I say those words because even after all I've been through, sometimes I ignore it already because I have expectations of how things should be, but but success is, is looking at your life and really focusing on what is beautiful about your life. And if you can do that, you'll get ahead, I promise you. It's not an easy task. It takes work and discipline to do that. But if you do it, I think that you'll find you have success no matter how society wants to define it, if you take those steps, you're going to find happiness in this life. No doubt about it. Well, just like your dad, you're a stoic. It's beautiful. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming, man. I really appreciate it. it Thank was, you. I mean, Thank you. It's an unbelievable story, an unbelievable effort by a son on behalf of his father, on behalf of his family, and truthfully, at the end of the day, on behalf of everybody that, that goes through that goes through that process. And so I really appreciate it. Um, uh, on behalf of all those folks and at the end of the day, society at large. So for anybody that's listening to this, if, if you've got similar issues and you want to reach Kirk, feel free to email me, jeff at thewhiskeyphilosopher.com. I'll pass them on to Kirk. I know, I know firsthand that, that not only does he read uh, and, and uh, absorb everything that's sent to him, but also will reply to you. Um, and if there's obviously any way to help, we'll, we'd be happy to do it va- based on your your experience as we've gone through. So, Kirk, thank you very much. Obviously, thank you, Jeff. you know our best to your father, although he's already got it. So, um, I really appreciate it. Um, for everybody out there, if you've listened and you've enjoyed, please subscribe to this, share it on social media, throw it out for this issue in particular because it does it does touch on something very very. Um, uh, it's an issue that that I think a lot of people are going through. Um, as and if actually that's not true. There are not a lot of people going through this. There are some people going through this, but it but it affects your life so completely. If you know those folks and you want to pass this on, please do that. Um, and as always, email questions, comments to Jeff at the Whiskey Philosopher. Kirk, thanks again, buddy. It's been great. Thank you, Appreciate Jeff. Appreciate it. And really uh, thanks, it. everybody.
The one remaining note that I would love to add as we exit this edition of the Whiskey Philosopher is that Kirk and his father and their entire family are working on a book on this. Um, As we learn more, I'll certainly keep you updated because I know after hearing this story, you're all going to want to listen. Thanks, everybody. You're listening to The Whiskey Philosopher with Jeff Cooper on the Ignotainment Media Network. Visit us at www.ignotainment.com. Seems like.